Hi, and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie, and I'm here to give you an honest, real, and even funny outlook on living with cancer. There is no one way to do cancer, and I've decided to share my story to help and inspire others, as well as raise awareness. At age 43, I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer known as hobnail in February 2022, having never had any health issues previously. I was fit and well and took pretty good care of myself. But despite that, I got a diagnosis and I am on a long-term treatment plan. On this podcast, I will be sharing my progress regularly. And I often speak to amazing guests who've been impacted by cancer in some way. I really hope you enjoy listening. And if you do, then please rate, review, follow and recommend the pod. Listeners, hello. Lovely to have you back as always. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have sort of done something I don't normally do for an episode when I'm talking on my own. I've done a little bit of prep. And by prep, I mean I've written down a few subheadings. Normally, when I record this, I just reflect back on what I've been feeling and what I've been going through, what's been happening in my life, give you, you know, a bit of an update on my health and treatment and things like that. But I suppose overall, when I do reflect back, I've been feeling really okay. And it's such a strange feeling because obviously, until I get another scan, I don't know really what's going on inside my body. There are, for me, a few kind of signs and indications if something's not right. So tends to be that I could feel like a lymph node swelling up or the cough comes back. Katie asked me, am I constantly feeling around my neck and feeling for lumps and things? And I'm kind of trying to manage that, I guess, underlying anxiety that exists and be sensible about, you know, keeping an eye on things, but not being overly paranoid about things. But it's hard. It's a really hard thing to maintain, to be in this place of being told I don't have cancer and really believing that it's not going to come back and that this is where my life is now, cancer-free working really hard on that. And that brings me on to one of the subheadings that I've written down, which is narratives. So I think that one of the things I've learned is really focus on what you want your narrative to be and not to follow a narrative that you might be told is your journey or story or will lead to your outcome. It's something I switched mindset on earlier this year. I think it served me really, really well. And I'll explain to you what I mean. So I was always told at the time of my diagnosis that the cancer I have is treatable. So I can take a drug, I can be on a treatment that will treat the cancer and sort of keep it at bay. But I will never be cured. I will never be free of cancer. It will never be completely something I can be treatment free and don't have to be thinking about or be monitored for. 
so when I got told that my diagnosis, you know, and I mean, don't get me wrong, that took me a really long time to get my head around and to understand. And words like palliative care were thrown up on documents that I was signing about the treatment that I was going to take. And in my mind, palliative care meant end of life. And what was I facing here with this? You know, I was never told, oh, you're at stage four. I was never told you have terminal cancer. I was never told this is how long you've got to live. So I didn't have those narratives, but nonetheless, I was told, yeah, this is really serious. This is something we haven't seen before. This is something we don't have like a clear treatment path for. We're going to kind of feel this out with a bit of trial and error. And I went around repeating that narrative for a really long time. I don't know, it was this sort of label that was put upon me that I felt I needed to really clarify if people were asking me what my diagnosis was or what my prognosis was, I would reply and say, the cancer I have. Remember, I didn't ever say my cancer. I was always really clear about the language I used around the cancer because I felt that to call it my cancer gave it a sense of belonging in my body. So it was always the cancer I have or the cancer or I have thyroid cancer, but didn't kind of want it to belong to me. I would say to people if they said, like, what have you been told or what's the latest or, you know, I would say the cancer I have is treatable but not curable. I basically thought about that and I thought about the fact that I was taking this opinion of doctors that I fully trust and respect, by the way. You know, I'm treated at the Royal Marsden Hospital. It is one of the most famous cancer hospitals in the world. Like, they are incredible at what they do. I see how they work. They work collaboratively. They really take their time to think about an approach. They don't just rush into it. And even though that can be incredibly scary and frustrating, I get it now. You know, I now have time to look back. So this was not about lack of respect for them or anything like that. This was about feeling like, hang on a minute, if I repeat that narrative, I really believe there is something I am telling my body. There is a statement in that, that I'm not even giving myself a chance to have a different path and have a different route. You know, I think it's so powerful when you follow a narrative that you've been told. It can be anything, by the way. And actually, I really took stock of that earlier this year. And I really stood back and said, that doesn't have to be my narrative. That's the medical narrative. If you listen back or if you've been listening throughout, you might have noticed that kind of change in mindset that I had. I just realized kind of the power of that repetition. And I actually feel like it's sending a message literally to the cells in my body. So that is something I think is a really powerful lesson for anyone out there who kind of decides to go down a certain route. And actually, why don't you stop right there in your tracks and turn around and go, this might be something different. And it's not about, as my friend Rob would say, magic thinking. It's not about, oh, if I think this, it's going to happen or be afraid to think certain thoughts because you're going to make it happen. You're going to live from that place. It's not that. It is 
having an outlook on life and having an innate belief that like the more you trust in that and the more you reflect on that, the more empowering it is to actually change that narrative. You know, there were also times where I would say to my oncologist, like, it's all going to go. I really hope it is. And by the way, I know how lucky I was because her response was good. Let's make that happen then. She let me lead the narrative, basically. And I think that was something, again, I feel like I've been very lucky, very lucky. I suppose what I'm saying is like, here is a really good tool that I have used that I would like to pass on. Really think about what you've been told and really think about whether you're living from that place and whether that's helpful or not. You know, I'm not telling you that to change a narrative is a guaranteed change in outcome. Of course I'm not. Nobody can. But while you're living through it, I think it's going to make it easier. That is my experience. I've touched on, yeah, sort of how my oncologist's allowed me to lead that way. So the next heading that I have written down is self-advocacy. This is something actually that my producer said to me a while ago, you know, it'd be really interesting for you to clarify what you mean by that, to kind of do a sort of a step-by-step, -step, like how do you advocate for yourself? And it was interesting. I had to really ponder on it because what I realize is, you know, I'm at a stage in my life, I'm 45 now, I have run my own business for over 10 years. Prior to that, I was in the same industry, working in entertainment PR. I suppose like I had the skill set to be pretty proactive and have to be proactive. So I think that was kind of how I took my health as well. Like I decided, okay, I need to be proactive about this. I need to treat it a bit like I do my job. If I want to get something done, I need to make sure it happens. And some of the things that I did to advocate for myself were, I would never make the assumption that all the different kind of medical team around me, because it wasn't all under the Royal Marsden, or I should say it isn't all under the Royal Marsden. You know, I see a cardiologist who doesn't work at that hospital. I see an endocrinologist who works at a different hospital. I've now brought on Dr. Nina Fulashevel, my integrative oncology practitioner, and I need to make sure they're all joined up. So that is something that's really, really important. Don't assume that they all talk together. Make sure you introduce them all. Make sure you keep them CC'd on emails. When you have test results from one place, send it to the other place, send it to the next place, send it to your GP. Like, Just share information about yourself. Ask questions about an approach for you. It's you that they're working on and with. Ask about what is the right treatment for you? If something doesn't feel right, share that knowledge that you have, share those feelings that you have. If you've changed something in your diet or in your supplement plan, make sure your team know about that. It might be impacting on your bloods. It might be impacting on your fatigue. It could be, you know, any number of things. And if you feel that a certain approach for you or a certain practitioner that you put in front of is not right for you. You may feel there isn't a connection. You may not like the language they use. You may not feel that they 
work collaboratively with you on how you want to live your life. They may not prioritize quality of life. They may not understand what your home life is. There could be so many factors that kind of frame the context of you and who you are and how you want to be in the world. If you don't feel that they respect that or connect to that, then they're not right for you. And you have to put yourself first. I never forget one of my doctors saying a while ago, the patient comes first. If you want to move on because you feel that another doctor is going to give you what you need, that's totally your prerogative. So I think when I talk about self-advocacy, I think for me it's about having the tools to really put yourself first and really fight for what you want. And I think what's really important is you can do that from a really respectful, really kind place. It's not about slamming people at their jobs, telling people they don't know what they're doing or or being aggressive in any way. It's about being really open and communicative and honest about what you need. And I think that if you meet your team with respect, they will meet you with respect and vice versa. So, yeah, I think that's been another really, really useful and really effective approach for my healthcare, for sure. The other thing, I've been really interested to see the response, actually, from the death doula episode that I did last year. And from that place, I went ahead myself and got a death doula who I've had three or four sessions with. I'm not saying that... I live from a place where like, whoa, I'm really hunky-dory about death and it really doesn't scare me and I'm really cool about it. But what I've had to do over the course of the last year and a half is think about death and dying and think about my own mortality and think about what might happen after I die. I don't mean like where I'll go. I mean what my legacy will be. So many things to kind of talk about and get your head around. What I think I've come to understand is it's not like, oh, here we go, here's death, it's in a box here, and if you want to open it up, I can tell you everything there is to know. It's not, it's a conversation, it's a discussion, it is a mindset, it is experiencing acceptance one day and denial the next, it is, you know, feeling grief and sadness and loss, it is so many things, but it is inevitable. And, you know, everyone's got an indiv- their own narrative around death and dying. Like, and sometimes that is to push it to one side and not actually think about it. You know, there are people who, I've already said this, like I come across who are, you know, in the latter stage of their lives, approaching 80, 80 and beyond, who haven't thought about death and dying. And... Obviously, that mindset is your prerogative, but I do think it is something in our culture and in the Western world that we are doing ourselves a disservice by not engaging in that conversation. And interestingly enough, actually, there is a lot more available now on the subject of death and dying that I think is incredibly useful and incredibly cathartic. And I really encourage people to stop and think about your own mortality, your own feelings around death and dying and engage in it. Because 
what I have found is, you know, when I look back, I went for quite a long time. And again, I talked about it on the podcast when Claire and I were recording this first and second season. I really struggled even to tackle the subject of death and dying. A lot of the time, I think that was to save other people embarrassment or anything uncomfortable around the subject. But actually, as time's gone by and I have engaged more in it, it has just made it a part of my life. And what that means is living more. I don't know, it's, it's, it's so simple. When you really get your head around the fact that like we have one life and life is short and it sounds so cliched, but what choice do you have, you know, but to live because it is a gift and there are so many beautiful things to enjoy, to take stock of. To not think about death and dying is sort of, I don't know, it feels to me like a denial. So that's been a huge, huge learning for me. I guess the final heading that I've written down is hope. Hope is an incredibly important and helpful emotion to reflect on and to hold on to because there can be times when everything feels hopeless. It feels like you've run out of options. It feels like you're never going to get over the afternoon fatigue. You're never going to be able to get out of bed. You're never going to stop feeling sick. But you have to hope and believe that those struggles will pass and that there will be a treatment coming your way or you will be able to go for that walk again in the park. I guess what hope also gives you is like a sense of the future. And sometimes you need that. I don't want to take away from being present and being in the present. I think that's really, really important. So I don't mean kind of just living for the future. But what I mean is whatever you've been told, whatever path you may start going down, just make sure that there's hope at the end of it because I really believe like there is so much out there in the world that we just don't know. There is so many outcomes to a situation. There really, really are. And, you know, I think we're kind of a little bit wired often to think the worst or give up a sense of hope because, well, you know, I've heard that this might happen or I've been told that there's this outcome or, you know, what's the point? But I think hope gives you fight. And I think that having that sense of fight, and it's not about like fighting cancer and the battle with cancer, you know, I think there's a lot of conversations around that not being good terminology, but I just mean like willpower, I suppose, and trust and the belief that you have what it takes and there are great things. You can really flip your mindset and look at what are the good things that can come out of where you are. So I think that I have had a lot of hope. And when I felt hopeless, when I felt like giving up, when I felt like, what's the point? Particularly when the Lembatinib stopped working, I was just on the floor 
because I just thought, what's the point? This isn't working. I'm going to switch to another treatment. That might not work. And if it does work, it might have terrible side effects. You know, all of these things, which you can't help but have those thoughts. I'm not saying like, block it out, block it out. Let some of that pass through you. And at the end of that mindset, you know, at the end of that kind of self-talk, let there be hope. I honestly feel it's like this kind of secret ingredient to keeping going. So yeah, I think like those are things when I think back about, you know, what are some of the things I feel have really helped me have been sort of my crutches along this journey in a way. I think those are the four things that really stand out. Narratives, self-advocacy, death and hope. And I hope that sharing those can help you in some way too. Thanks as ever for listening, guys. Get in touch. I say this often and I really appreciate those emails coming in and the DMs that I get from you feeding back how you feel about this. And it just fills my heart. It really does to know that this is helping people in some way. So my Instagram is talking underscore with cancer and my email is hello at talking with cancer.com. And if you like this podcast and you'd like to donate something just as a way of kind of saying thank you, then I have a Just Giving page. If you go to justgiving.com, it is the Talking with Cancer Fund. So you can find that pretty easily if you go to justgiving.com. And yeah, anything at all that you can donate, I split between two charities, Maggie's Centre, which I talk about a lot on here, and the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity, specifically looking into research in thyroid cancer. So yeah, anything you can donate is hugely appreciated. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. Bye.